I have a dream that all men are created equal. Welcome back to your story. I'm your host, Ian Kath. This is episode 27. It's a funny old world, isn't it? It's a beautiful day here in Brisbane. It's on the east coast of Australia. If you happen to be overseas and you're not really sure where it is. And today's episode, though, is more about when I was in London a while back. And this is another story that I got while I was over there. But before I get into that, just a bit of a uh, quick rehash of a few things. The site, remember, if you get this in the feed, is yourstorypodcast.com. A few little things, a few pictures, and I'm actually going to put up a video this time around of uh, this the start, the opening of this uh, episode, because I actually shot a bit of video so you can see uh, what was going on. So you can go over there and have a look at the YouTube clip if you wish. Comments, of course, at the end of the post. Please leave a comment. Love hearing from you. And also, you can send me an email if you want to. Uh, chat at yourstorypodcast.com. That's easy enough. There are also feed links and iTunes links. If you haven't subscribed, that's where you can subscribe. Um, but maybe you just play it direct from the uh, page. So that's okay too. You can always stumble and dig me as well if you want to give me a bit of a plug. It's always good. iTunes always likes to have a few comments. Uh, today, the music is not from Iota Promonet because we actually got a bit of live music this time around. And that's what you can hear under me at the moment. So we're going to get a little bit deeper into that. But the story behind today's episode was... While I was in London, I was visiting the Whitechapel Bell Foundry. I did a little addendum episode about that. But after I left, I actually was fumbling around for my recorder to record that episode, which I did several hours later. And I had this gentleman come up to me and ask me, because of my jacket, if I was in the film industry. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not. I do work in it occasionally, but I'm not at the moment. I'm over here doing my podcast thing and explained what I was on about and I asked him what he does, and he said he's a musician. And we got chatting, and I thought, ooh, ooh, there's a story here, isn't there? So I asked him to come on the show, and that's what today's episode's all about. The lovely gentleman is McConney, and he spent a good while and let me fumble around with my video camera and my recorder, and we sort of knocked this episode together. And it's lovely. It's a lovely episode. I wish him well. I hope he has a great success and continued wonderful journey in life with his music but uh, there's more about that in a moment this is McConnie's story be careful dreaming those golden dreams be careful dreaming
Cooney. Mm-hmm. Just met you. Right. <laughs> I um, was walking down the road, Whitechapel Road, and I had this lovely fellow walk up to me and introduce himself. And we got talking about a few things, and I spoke briefly about what I'm doing, and I said, hey, McCourney, come on the show. So here we are. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Mark. Well, you know why I spoke to you, did you? Hmm, tell me. You had a son your jacket, and it says The Matrix. That's right. Because I worked, on, I worked right. on The Matrix. Yeah. yeah, I worked there as a special effects technician. And you remember what I spoke to you, who I spoke to you about? Remind the people who might be watching this. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And um, I told you that um, when I was an undergraduate at York University in Toronto, I ran a youth program in drama. It was called the Black Culture Loss Project Ontario. Mm. It was funded by the Jackman Foundation, one of the wealthiest foundations in the world. It's also funded by the Ontario government. And I run the program at a place called the Jesse Ketchum School, in which I had young black students, and from various backgrounds, taking drama there. They were learning drama. I was inspired by the Black Theatre Canada. And um, the truth about the matter is, I noticed there were many young students bright young students who came to the program. I don't know how long they stayed, but they did come. Mm, and Keanu was one of them. And Keanu Reeves is one of the young students. One of the young students was there was also uh, the, the son, a young chap, Cash, the son of my conducting coach, Eugene Cash. Right. Right. And there were other students like um, Don Roach, whose father was a prominent civil lawyer there. And on and on it went. I don't know what became of those students, but I still have lots of pictures in my archives for those young students. And when I went to Florida State University to do graduate studies in theater, uh, the students would meet me and say, did you know that Keanu Reeves made it big in the States? He was in a movie when uh, something to do with the bus. And then, um, and subsequently, many of all my students have gone on to do great things. Ron Chambers went to be to Chicago. You see uh, Denise Williams made herself into a very prominent opera singer and so on and so forth. Right. But Keanu Reeves was the most become one of the most illustrious young actors who came to the Jesse Ketchum School. Right. It could have been just one or two workshops, but the truth is his mere association with our program mm. and the fact that he made it. He made so it. seeing the Matrix was uh, um, it just took me back to another, another time, another yeah. place. Okay, well, well McCartney, what, what are your influences? Where, 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 what's your heritage? You're Canadian? Yeah, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm Caribbean. Caribbean? Caribbean. African okay. Caribbean. So did, were you born in the yeah, Caribbean? Yeah, yes. Okay. St. Vincent, Vincent and the Grenadines. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and I come from, a, a born in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And, um, you know, in St. Vincent, like most of the other Caribbean islands, there's a very strong, musical heritage there and uh, it's been greatly influenced by subsequent various colonial powers the influence coming from the French the Spanish, the Dutch Portuguese and the British but whatever they all left that was it and then our indigenous music which is brought from Africa to the Caribbean so you can imagine it's it's, um, it's a multiple uh, multiple sets or series or genres of music that are coming together right. in the Caribbean. Is that where you learned music originally? Yeah, yes. I had. What age did you leave the Caribbean to go to Canada? I, I left in my late 
my um, late teens, okay. early twenties, late teens. Okay. okay, okay. Tell me, what does music mean to you? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Yes, music is my life. I cannot, I cannot tell you where my life begins and where music ends, or where music ends and my life begins, because it's inextricably interwoven. Well, it's like a fabric. Then. What was the first instrument you learned? I, the first instrument I learned was a harmonica. Oh, we all got them for Christmas. Every kid I knew got a harmonica for what Christmas. What age were you? I was about three or four. Okay. Yeah, okay. that was my first instrument. And were you able to play it with your nerves? Yeah, I learned to play it. I learned to play it very well, too, and played it for all my life. Right. I still play the harmonica. And gave a lot of concerts in the harmonica. Right. Then, then the next instrument was the flute, a bamboo flute, which I still play as my only flute. I refused a gift of a, of a, a good silver flute, which I could have exchanged for the bamboo flute. Okay. But I always loved the quality of the bamboo flute, the rich warmth of the bamboo mm. flute. Mm. You know, though, though there's a rich, you can get that same quality sound if you're a very fine artist from a metal flute. But the folk flute, as a bamboo flute, has a unique quality to it, a unique richness to it that I don't think you can get from a bamboo flute, from a, a metal flute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When did you learn the guitar? Um, I've always had a, a ukulele. I've always been uh, my first. Yeah, I forgot my first string guitar is genre for guitar when I was about seven, eight years old. I bought it, <laughs> I own, yeah. And um, I've always had a lot of fun with it. It never became, but I never became very serious about it because I was drawn towards keyboard instruments later on. But I always kept um, a, a guitar around me. This was always part of my own musical ensemble, you know. Have you studied music? Yes. Uh, Conservatorium? Yes, I studied music. I studied music at Miss Horn in, in, in Kingstown, oh, in St. Okay. Vincent, yeah. But it was, it was not unique for me to study music. It was like a national pastime or a national uh, pursuit, the study of music, in not only in SVG, which is St. Vincent Grenadine, but it was quite so much so in, in Grenada right. and in Barbados in Trinidad, and they all had, it existed on two levels, or three. There was the folk music, which was always there. There was the music which you sang in the, in the churches, the Anglican church, the Methodist church, mm -hmm. you see, and um, that was part of life, the culture. And then there was the classical music. They all, they, they existed um, together, but separately. Mm. And then the music you hear on the carnival, the steel band music and the calypsos, and they all coexist together. Isn't that interesting? I, it, is, um, it is something that runs through the human spirit, I think, music, yeah. and it doesn't matter which way it all comes out yeah, the same so, way. Yeah. Okay, so you're a conductor as well. Yes, I was trained. I've always been interested in conducting. As far back as I could remember, I always want to be involved in some area of conducting. Why? Um, why, why, why conducting? Uh, because not just I being read about it, just read about it, maybe um, reading about it, uh, reading about the symphony. I've always been interested because there were many bands around, and there were choral conductors. I saw we did because we did uh, have a light operatic group in Kingstown, 
I think it was a Kingston Light Opera, in which we did a lot of um, the Gilbert and Sullivan mm. comic operas. And so that was part, this was, and the director there was Pat Prescott, who is still back there. I wish you'd give him a call one of these days. And he's, and so he was always there. Then we had uh, different people I've seen conduct, you know, one and the works. And so I was greatly influenced by that too. Do you enjoy conducting? Absolutely. Why? I think it's wonderful. Why? I, I think conducting, there's an essence to conducting, which you don't find in any other discipline. Meaning that, okay, firstly, if you're in love with composers, works, compositions, and you love Beethoven, or you love Mozart, or you love Haydn, or any, con any composer, and uh, they spend their whole lives in this art of writing compositions, writing compositions that they, they hope and dream will be performed. And um, as a conductor, if you have a love and passion for the music of these composers, it brings you, even though you can play it on the piano, their piano compositions, was well and good. It's okay if you can play, play, play the preludes and fugue by Bach, or you can play you know, the well-tempered clavier works by Bach, or you can play the Mozart piano concertis or sonatas and Mozart. But it's not until you hear their orchestral works or their works for choir. It's good, but not until you get an opportunity to study the scores, to study the, the, the coming together of all these separate but interrelated parts into that cohesion known as a composition for choir or opera. Suddenly you begin to see the working of their minds, then, the richness, and then you begin to admire. You may love the work, but not until you begin to analyze that score. You know, and take it together, and then you hear it. But to stand before the body, the group, the orchestra, the choir that they wrote it for, and begin to rehearse it, suddenly, well, you hear it when you're working in it, or you sit at the piano and you go to the score as you study it. But it brings you, it gives you a familiarity, a relationship, an intimacy with the composer that you could never have had when you play just as piano works. Do you as the conductor mm -hmm. become more intimate with the composer than the audience listening? That's a very, very good question. Thank you so much for asking that. I I'm, I'm don't want to take the liberty to say that you become more intimate because there are many people who come to concerts, they come with different levels of experiences in the audience. So you have to be very respectful of the audience. And every conductor has to do that. Your answer your question is, do we become more intimate with the music? Maybe to some level. Because we as composers have to struggle with that score. You have to take that score extremely seriously. Every note every phrase, because what you're trying to do is to enter into a communication with the composer. You enter into an intimacy with the composer then, to interpret what he has written down there at different stages of that composition, the subtle things he wants. And it's, that's why it's so, it's so important to be faithful to the score, 
not to take liberties with the score. Some conductors do, I don't. I try to enter into an agreement with the conductor to answer your question whether or not we have a deeper intimacy than the people in the audience. It's a very qualitative sort of statement or answer or question because there are people in that audience who have been going to these concerts since they were little, maybe with their grandparents, with their parents. They've developed an intimacy with that work too. Maybe it could be well be more intimacy than the conductor. Mm. Mm. It could well be. Mm. I can see why it's difficult to answer that question. You see what I'm saying? But you are very intimate with the composer. You're very intimate with the composer. And and the intimacy, sometimes it's it's as if we we become servants then of the composer. Wow. Not it's not an in, I don't see it as an intimacy as Jack and Jill on the teeter totter. We are servants of the composers. We, our job is to t- take the inspiration that he's been given by the higher one above and to be as faithful. We are supposed to be as faithful messengers then, like Mercury bringing the message you know, from mm. the gods, you mm. know. To mm. We are like Mercury's then. We are messengers. We are interpreters, mind you. But we, our job is to faithfully interpret. It's okay. The best analogy is like someone is interpreting a book because the, the interpretations are subjected to your experience in the language, subjected to your heightened awareness of the language, the subtleties of the language. And I don't think the analogy is too far apart from someone who interprets a book than as a composer who interprets a a piece of music. Though there might be certain technical differences in terms of the processes, Mm. but you you want to get the composer's idea across the richness of his idea. And so you want to make sure that you are getting the right thing. But the mediums you deal, first it has to come into your mind. You have to process it into your mind, your musical abilities, your talents, whatever gifts you have as far as a a conductor, the experience you've had. And because certain subtleties in conducting, for example, you know, in conducting, there's certain traditional things that happen in the score. As a young conductor, you may not know. So therefore, like, you, there are certain passages which is a tradition to interpret in a certain way. So if you're a young conductor and you don't know, and you stand before a symphony orchestra, and you begin to interpret a particular piece as you learned it in the conservative of music where you were taught, there'll be raised eyebrows. So there are traditions of interpretation of Beethoven, traditions of interpretation of Mozart, traditions of interpretation of Bach. You see, mm. and now and then, maybe a more creative conductor comes on board, a more creative pianist with more talent and ability comes on board and do, makes strides, brave strides in that particular music. For instance, when Glenn Gould did the Goldberg Variations, the the listening world stood up. Why? Because he was doing things, bringing out voices that were not necessarily heard before in Bach. 
emphasize in certain things. But Glenn Gould could have done it because Glenn Gould was a genius. And he had convictions as to why he was doing it. That's another thing, again, that plays a very important role when you become an interpreter as a conductor. They have such conviction. These are truths that you think you have arrived at with that music. Given truths that are so self-evident to you as a, a conductor that your conscience cannot allow you, not even if the critics cut your head off, would you change your interpretation of it. And if you perform in a work and somebody says, well, it's very dry, <laughs> you see, why don't you pep it up a little? But that's not what the, conduct, the, the composer wanted. As you become a charlatan, you know, so you have to be faithful wherever the conductor. That's why when a conductor dies and leaves a work unfinished, nobody should go and try and finish it. Mm. Mm. You see, that's where the pen went down, you know. Mm. And when I was conducting Dvorak, I went to Dvorak's home. That was in the Czech Republic. I sat at the table where he died, the dinner table. I spoke to his granddaughter. I have pictures with her. She told me exactly. Saw the robes that he received at Oxford University. Why were you in the Czech Republic? I've, I've just been there in Prague myself. I went there to continue my composition studies. I took some composition with Ladislav Kubik, who was head of the new music department at Florida State University School of Music. And uh, he was running he was running a, a composition seminars there, and I went there. And uh, I've always wanted to, to uh, continue, continue my conducting studies because I was studying that time with Eugene Cash. And uh, so when I got there after my composition program, it was a wonderful place at the Prague Academy we were. So you've been speaking a lot about conducting. What are you? Are you? I'm a, I'm a musician. Okay. And what, uh, what is a musician to you? What is you? What is you, the musician? Um, someone who have had to make major choices in life, of which there have been many possibilities, but the choices have been few. Being a musician to me has to do with making choices, constantly making choices, and hoping that the right choices. As and others, uh, I wish I could be much simpler than that. Because I can philosophize it, but if bring it down to a common denominator, it's having to make choices. Where are you at the moment? What choices are you making at the moment? Um, well, I'm. I. Uh, I've always been passionate about the world of singing because my teachers wanted me to take opera at school, voice. What sort of voice do you have? Um, they would have done anything with it. <laughs> they <laughs> well, might have made me into a tenor. A tenor? Yeah. They could have, or, or married to him, but it might have gone down. But I did have a very, I had, uh, it, no, I think it's a baritone, I think, because it's untrained. And I do sing folk music, and I have a great passion for folk music. And I've sang folk songs uh, all around, all over the world at almost every music festival I go. And I will sing folk songs as a guest artist. And But if you sing at folk festivals, these events, 
and you can only do this X, you know, you have to be invited by agent. Now I do much more singing in small environments, you know, not too big. Um, I don't sing for more than 200 people. Okay, the little smoky clubs. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when you perform with these musicians, they smoke a lot. You know, there's an excessive amount of smoking in that kind of music, an excessive amount of drinking, and whatever went on in that. And um, so when we were rehearsing, you know, they would take a break to go out to smoke maybe every 10 or 15 minutes. So it's really hard in the engineers, you know. And, um, and uh, so he one day said to me, why don't you uh, get a guitar and get an attitude and leave the band behind you? It's costing you so much money and time and stuff. And um, so the next day I went out and I picked up this old guitar and um, and uh, at first it was never ready to accompany myself, but I got it to accompany myself and it changed the whole spectrum of things. And that's when you start moving to folk, was it? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. So, and uh, because then I could stand on the stage, get a drummer, and then uh, I just, what I did too was to um, rearrange everything beneath my fingers <laughs> and got a comfortable range and uh, that I could just sit and play. And, and, and so that's how I, I got into doing solo work. If you could, what would you like to be doing? Um, I like to be conducting the Berlin Philharmonic. Oh. <laughs> you know, I like to conduct the London Symphony Orchestra, the London Philharmonic. Go back and, and stand the podium of the Czech Philharmonic. Go to Mo go to Leningrad and conducting the Leningrad Philharmonic. You know, I love to do that. But I will always want, but but but. I do love singing, and I've always sang. And well, even though I was with the symphony, and so I will, but I will continue to take part. I will always continue to take part in singing. My mother loves to sing, and my sister once told me that God bless singers. <laughs> so I will always be singing, either in uh, from for my friends and social occasions, because people do like the songs that I sing, because I write those songs. And those songs that I write are songs that I've always wanted, love to write songs, enjoy writing songs. So when I write a song, I know how to sing that song. I don't have to tell anyone how to interpret that song because it's coming from, I'm singing it from where the song came from my heart. So I always have this, this passion for singing. But I think it's my singing that really got me to conducting because, you know, my, I reflected on my voice. And um, whatever gave me that utterance. So, um, but there are two great passions I have in the world of music. That is conducting, and I love to sing. Mm. Either with or not with a choir or so, but I do love singing and conducting. Where can people see you? Well, I am. If they are, if they are looking at some of the music festivals I'm performing in, like in, um, in it is a major music festival. In, um, in in Sweden, I can't remember the name of it, but if there and I've sang music festivals in Finland, in in in, in Poland, I've seen. So you travel a fair bit, do you? Yeah, yeah, because people like they like they think my they like my voice, mm. 
And, and if they come to a small gathering like where I was at the Inn and the Green on the 23rd, I have a concert there. 23rd of? In September. Okay. And I have there, there three or four other concerts taking place in that area. This is here in London? Yeah. And then there might be six small gatherings because that's what I prefer. And now there's, there are no smoking allowed anymore in these places. And um, so it's not hard in the voice. Now, this goes out on the internet. Yeah. So what what how, can people find you on the internet if they search your name? Yes, McCann. Well, not on the internet, but if they want to know where I'm performing. If they Google search you, yeah, well, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't have my there. Your name won't come up no, on they, at any of the uh, performances. No, for the coming year. Well, we plan to do that, but I don't have. We don't have. I don't have this sort of connection right now because just just so people could try could spell out your name, McCann. M C C O N N I E. That's it, McCartney. But we do have um, ads in the newspapers. We're gonna and, and if they look in um, in any any arts magazine, they would see where I'm performing. Okay. Any newspaper, radio, and television, you will see McCartney. If you phone up in on the green, and there's on the Portobello Road up there, in on the green, you will see where I'm performing there. They will tell you. Twenty third. Yeah, and there. There are six or seven other places where I am performing. There's another place where I performed yesterday. I've been performing it for three days. I can't remember the name. <laughs> but they are, and I get invitations. I do private corporate things. Okay. And I, as you know, I also play the piano. Okay. You got an email address? Yes. What's your email address? It's um, E D F O R D M C O N N I E at hotmail.com. Should I repeat that? I, I, they can rewind their iPods yeah. and listen to that yeah. if they want to. Mm-hmm. Would you like to get some of my music? I would love to get some more music. Would you like something more up-tempo? I would love something? something more up-tempo and we'll go out with your music. Yeah. And I'd just like to say before you go, mm-hmm. thanks very much for coming on yeah. my show and yeah. uh, play us out. Yeah.
wanna dance with you And you love talking
Yeah. 
How's that? That's correct. <laughs> there are eight million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.